and welcome again to another segment of the Grassy Knoll. We're still standing. It is August 8th, 2006, and with us today uh, for a third time is Steve Wahlberg. He's an author, uh, director of End Time Insights Radio and TV Ministry, and he hosts a national radio show, World News and the Bible. As I said, he's with us for a third time. Uh, the first time uh, he was on, we spoke to his book, End Time Delusions. And then he was on a second time with the infamous, uh, <laughs> the infamous night when we didn't know we had 800 numbers pulled on us. And he spoke to Hour of the Witch, uh, was a new release at that time. Today we're going to talk about a title, part of, of which uh, uh, is, um, is part of a greater work. Uh, in end time delusions. This is called Exploding the Israel Deception. It's also isolated. Steve will tell you all about that uh, and how you can uh, um, access that. So, again, for a third time, Steve, thanks for uh, visiting the Grassy Knoll. Program's behind us, and I think this is going to be another sizzling topic for sure. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really explain it all that correctly, so let me try it one more time. Exploding the Israel Deception is a standalone title, but it is also included in the larger work, which is End Time Delusions. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Exploding the Israel Deception came out about, oh, seven years ago. It's just a small little book, and then I took a few other small books that I've written on different topics and combined them into one larger book, which is End Time Delusions. And so End Time Delusions has the same content as in Exploding the Israel Deception, plus it has another uh, whole section called the Antichrist Chronicles, and then another section on the rapture, and another section on the uh, tribulation. So it's it's a blockbuster, and it's got a lot of information. Yeah, and, and folks... Um, Steve's a pretty busy guy, and there are a number of websites uh, dedicated to his work out there. We'll, we'll get through all that uh, a number of times before the show is over. So uh, uh, if you want, though, uh, if people, and, and if they're listening right now, and they're on the well, they got it, they're on the net, right? <laughs> um, where would you have them go uh, to uh, uh, The Truth well, Left Behind? Yes, the easiest website to remember for radio purposes is truthleftbehind.com, truthleftbehind.com. Yeah, although some people are given to uh, downloading these and playing them in CD players in their cars, I hesitate, but most people obviously are going to be listening on the net, either live or later on the, uh, in the audio archives, which will be mail available sure. about 15 minutes after the show. All right, now, there's probably no bigger hot-button topic uh, and buttons and intro- is, a, is a key word here uh, than what, what is going on with, um, I guess, the discussion, the debate, the argument about whether or not uh, the United States and Christians in particular should be uh, defending Israel uh, because of, um, I guess, its biblical import and prophecy. Now, let's start with that. Um, what's your take on what's going on? Right. Well, the, the current situation has many different facets. Obviously, it's 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 complex. It's not just we're not just dealing with one issue. Now, now just just purely from a political perspective, Keith, I, I really believe that that Israel um, is not in the wrong in this situation. I've done a lot of research about Islam and Hezbollah, and, and these people they're not just over there in Lebanon, but they're here in America, and they're very very dangerous people, and they are just totally committed to to destroying the infidel because that's what the Quran says, uh, make war on the infidel. And I think that especially here in America, uh, we really need to be, to wake up to the, the threat of the growth of Islam in our country. But apart from that, uh, the, the, the prophetic issue has to do with whether Israel is eventually going to be the center of the, of the battle of Armageddon. And, and that really is the dominant view, the popular view uh, 
from the major prophecy teachers today like John Hagee and Jack Van Impe and Tim LaHaye, I mean the list goes on and on, uh, they strongly believe that the Bible teaches, that's their belief, that, uh, that Armageddon is going to be a final Middle East battle against the Jews. And, and many prophecy teachers are looking at this current conflict in the Middle East, and they're, they're seeing uh, the, the preliminaries to that final battle, and especially John Hagee. I mean, he is really, he's on television all over the mm -hmm. country, and he is really uh, coming on strong, not just that we need to defend Israel from a political perspective, but from a biblical perspective that they are the people of God and the prophecy is being fulfilled and the nations are going to gather together against the Jews. And that's the Battle of Armageddon. That will be the Battle of Armageddon. I take issue with that. Uh, I don't believe that. I believe that is a false teaching. I want to make that very clear. False teaching. <laughs> Should I say it again? False, false teaching. teaching. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm, and I'm here to prove that. Uh, based on the Bible. I'm a Bible-believing Jewish Christian. I'm Jewish myself, and, uh, and I believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm not a liberal, and I believe in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I can prove very, very clearly from the New Testament and from the book of Revelation that the Battle of Armageddon is not a Middle East war against the, against the Jews. And I've got Revelation 16 open here right in front of me, and as we go on, uh, I'll make this very, very clear. And all of this is documented in the book End Time Delusions. All right, well, let's. Wh wh where do you want to take it from? Uh, do we want to talk about what people are perceiving as um, the, the spiritual Israel? Uh, yes, why don't, we, why don't we do that? And let me just let me clarify something, because some people... Uh, accuse me of, of being a teacher of what they're calling uh, replacement theology. Yeah, right. That's the, the big buzzword. And let me clarify that I do not believe in replacement theology. And, and here's, here's my take. There's, there's actually three different views uh, on Israel and how to understand these things. One is replacement theology. And that, that view basically says that that when, when uh, Jesus came and when Jesus died and rose, rose and went to heaven, that God decided that he was done with the Jews entirely. And then he switched over to the church. Uh, just, you know, no more Jews, now it's the church. That, that is replacement theology, replacing Israel with the church. And, and I don't buy that. I, I don't believe that. First of all, again, I'm Jewish, and God hasn't, hasn't just given up on Jewish people entirely. I mean, God loves Jewish people. Paul was a Jew. The New Testament was written mostly by Jews, uh, except for Luke wrote the book of Acts. And, and the book of Luke. But so anyway, replacement theology, I don't buy that. Okay, second view is really the dispensational view. This is taught by Tim LaHaye and John Hagee, and, and the list goes on and on. And I call that uh, separation theology. And that basic idea, Keith, is that, is that Israel is on the one side and the church is on the other side, and they're separate. Israel and the church are separate. And they say basically that the clock stopped as far as Israel goes, but, uh, and the church is like a parenthesis in the dispensations of, of history, and eventually after the rapture, God's going to take the, Jew, or the or the church up to heaven, and then God's going to refocus on the Jews. And so you've got the church on the one side and Israel on the other side, and they're, they're separate. I don't buy that either. I don't buy that belief, because if you, if you look at the early church, uh, if, you go to the, if you were to go to Pentecost as a news reporter, you know, an embedded mm -hmm. correspondent there, 
uh, on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast. It's described in Acts chapter 2. It says that there were Jews from every nation under heaven that came there. Peter preached a sermon who was Jewish. And 3,000 people were baptized. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says that the Lord added them to the church. So here's all these Jews, and they were baptized, and they were added to the church. Now, if you were this reporter, and if you were to go up to some of those Jews, or if you, go, if you were to go to Peter or John or James, and ask them, are you, are you Israel, or are you the church? Uh, what do you think they'd say? I mean, would they say, uh, they, 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 they'd be mystified at that question, because they, they were both. They were Israel. Of course they were Israel. Right. They were Jews. Of course they were Jews. They didn't stop being Jews. They didn't stop being Israel. But they were also being added to the church. And so it was a Jewish church. Make that very clear. It was a Jewish church. And that's, that's as biblical as biblical can be. So this idea of putting the church over on, over on the left and, the, and Israel over on the right and saying they're separate, uh, I don't buy that either. Now, here's the third view. And this is the view that I espouse and I can prove it. It's very easy to prove if you just if people just have an open heart and open their eyes and look at the Bible. Uh, and I call that view the Israel of God view. Israel of God. Uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul talks about the Israel of God. In, in Galatians 3, verse 29, he talks about uh, Gentiles who become part of the seed of Abraham. And the basic idea is that the Israel of God is an Israel that is composed of Jews who become believers in Jesus and non-Jews, Gentiles, who become believers in Jesus, and they together are one group called the Israel of God, which is also called the church. And the Israel of God doesn't replace Israel. It is Israel. It's the Israel of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the Jew and the Gentile and how Jesus came and broke down the wall between them to make of the two one new man. Uh, and there's just so many scriptures about God taking, taking Gentiles and grafting them in. What do they come into? They come into the Israel of God. And in the New Testament, Keith, there's actually, there's really two different kinds of Israels. In 1 Corinthians 10.18, Paul talks about the Israel of the flesh. And he says, he says the same thing in Romans 9.3, the Israelites according to the flesh. And Israel of the flesh are, are Jewish people that don't believe in Jesus. And then those that do believe in him, uh, they are part of the Israel of God. And when a Gentile becomes a believer in Christ, then he also becomes part of the Israel of God. So you've got these three, these three views. You've got replacement theology that says God's done with the Jew. I don't buy that. Then you've got separation theology that says the church and, the, and Israel are separate. I don't buy that either. And the third one is that you've got the Israel of God, which is not just Jews, but it's Jews and Gentiles combined into one in Jesus Christ. And I can prove as we go along very, very clearly that in the book of Revelation, and when it comes to prophecy and the final issues and the final events at the end of the world, it is not the Israel of the flesh, that it meaning just you know, the nation of Israel, the Israelis, uh, even if they don't believe in Jesus Christ or not. It's not the Israel of the flesh that is the center of the storm that will be the, bear the brunt of the forces of the devil all around the world and will be at the, uh, at the eye of Armageddon. It's not. It's the Israel of God that is centered in Jesus Christ all over the world, composed of Jewish people and Gentiles who are true followers 
of Jesus Christ. That is the Israel of God, and that's the uh, the center of the, the warfare of the devil uh, at the Battle of Armageddon. And when John Hagee and Tim LaHaye, and, and again, the list goes on and on, uh, say that the Israel of the flesh is the center of prophecy, the, the current Israel, the Israeli nation, uh, regardless of whether they believe in Jesus or not, that that's the center of prophecy, that's just not true. That's false prophecy. I'll say it again, false prophecy. Well, uh, one of the things that has struck me, and that is those Christians who have a heart um, for the, uh, the Jewry that you explained, uh, yeah, that they're not just in Israel. I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, the lost, uh, the lost uh, Gentiles and lost Jews are all over the, all over the world. That's right. They are all over the world. And, and, and let me clarify also, Keith, that I have a heart for, for Israel. Um, Paul says in Romans 10, verse 1, my, my prayer to God and my heart's desire for Israel is that they may be saved. And I want that too. I want Jewish people to be saved. My mother's Jewish. My dad is Jewish. My brother's Jewish. My sister's Jewish. I've got all kinds of Jewish friends. I grew up in a Jewish home, uh, but there was no God. There was no prayer. There was no Bible. Uh, we, we didn't go to synagogue. And it's sad that so many Jewish people all over the world are just like me. You know, they don't, many of them are atheists. Uh, they, don't, they don't believe at all. And, and if you go to Israel itself, I mean, Israel, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of Jews over there that don't believe even in God at all. They don't go to the synagogue. They don't keep Sabbath. They don't pray. They don't read the Bible. There's a, there's a small percentage, probably like 2 or 3% of, or 4 of the entire nation of Israel, of those that are religiously inclined. Uh, abortion is just as big a problem mm-hmm. over there among Israeli women as it is over here in America. There are there are hundreds of thousands, Keith, of babies that are being aborted in Israel. And so many conservative Christians, you know, like me, I mean, I'm a conservative too, they stand up against abortion, they say abortion's wrong and God's going to judge this nation for for all the abortions. And, and I believe that. I mean, abortion is wicked, it's evil, it's terrible. Uh, I've got a little two-year-old boy, he's, he just turned two, he's the joy of my wife and my wife, his name is Seth, we love him to death, and I can't imagine, you know, what what it would have been like if we just decided, well, we didn't want him and we, we aborted him. So anyway, my point is that Christians uh, rightly say that God is going to judge for all the abortions in this country. Well, what about in Israel? What about all the, the, the little Jewish babies that are being aborted? I mean, it's just as much of a crime over there as it is over here, and God's not going to overlook that and say, oh, well, they're the chosen people over there, that's Israel over there, stand with Israel, protect Israel, defend Israel, no matter what, what all's happening over there in Israel. It's just not, it's just not right. I mean, uh, you know, when Jesus was here, there were the Peters and the James and the Johns, people like that that responded, and then there was there were the Annas and the Caiaphases and the Judases and, and those that rejected him. And it's the same today. There are Jewish people that respond, and there are Jewish people that uh, are totally on the side of the enemy, just like they were back then. And it's the same with every single group of people anywhere around the world. And God is no respecter of persons. And Romans chapter 2, verse 9 says that uh, tribulation and anguish is coming upon every person that does evil to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So Jews, if they're doing evil, uh, they, they're not going to get away with that any more than anybody else mm-hmm. is. 
Well, a couple of things, if I could. One of the th one of the things that I shake my head at. Uh, we all get emails. You get emails. I do, uh, and I see all the time how uh, the Lord's going to judge us because of our stiff-necked ways and such. And it's and that's true. But I, I say to other people also, is, you know, take a look at what's supposed to be. What would you say, Christian Western Europe? Uh, what was been historically Protestant, whatever. But those those people in those countries are not necessarily uh, distinguishing themselves either. We're all going to be judged for falling short. That's right. That's exactly right, Keith. And God is. I mean, one of the one of the truths of the Bible that's so clear is that God is just and fair, and He will judge every single human being according to His works. Now, the good news of the gospel is that we have a Savior who paid the price for our sins, who paid for every single sin we've ever committed, and if we repent of those sins and receive Him as our Savior, God will wash away the slate, and He'll completely forgive us and cleanse us by His grace. But if we don't, if we don't, Jew or Gentile, we are going to stand before God, we're going to be judged for our sins, and we're going to be condemned, and we're going to be lost. I mean, that's, that's very, very clear. And just because a person's a Jew doesn't give him any special favors on the Day of Judgment. If anything, he's going to have more responsibility, more accountability, because he's had access to the Scriptures. And so God is just, he's fair, he's going to judge every single person, Jew and Gentile, and there's, uh, there's no favoritism, the Bible says, with God. He's no respecter of persons. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question, but before I do that, um, I want to let people know that uh, Steve Wolberg is with us on the grass. You know, we're talking about uh, his one work, uh, Exploding the Israel Deception. The website uh, that's associated with that is uh, truthleftbehind.com. But I tell you, as I said, Steve, I mean, you're all over the Internet. Anybody wants to do a search, why don't you tell <laughs> It's amazing. I did a Google on myself the other day, and I found like 70,000 hits. I thought, wow, this is incredible. Well, I, you know, you have a lot of resources to offer. Why don't we take a minute uh, so that folks can uh, find out what they are and how they can avail themselves of them. Sure. The simplest uh, website to remember is truthleftbehind.com, truthleftbehind.com. And on that site, there's just lots and lots. There's articles. Uh, we have books. We have tapes. We have DVDs. Uh, we've got a lot of material on Israel, on the Antichrist, on the Rapture, on the seven years of tribulation, on witchcraft. Uh, we're just we have a lot of material, and I give seminars, and I'm on the radio a lot, and so we just encourage people to check them out. Uh, we have a toll-free number people can call if they want. It's 878 Bible, 878 Bible. The main book that I have that deals with this topic, Keith, is End Time Delusions, which incorporates my smaller book, uh, Exploding the Israel Deception, into it. And it's, it's a blockbuster. I mean, people can go on the site and they can click a little uh, link that says Readers Respond and read all the comments from people all over the world that have been reading uh, End Time Delusions. I mean, it's just amazing. I was just on a TV, a TV channel about a week ago called God's Learning Channel. They had me on for a two-hour live, and we discussed this and, and other topics. And when that show was over, I mean, they were flooded with orders for the book End Time Delusions. And uh, I'm just thrilled that God is using this book. Uh, it's a solid book. It's a biblical book. It's a New Testament. It teaches the Old and the New Testaments. And, and it's not in any way, in any way, anti-Semitic. Uh, I am I'm a Jew myself. I love Jewish people. I want Jewish people to be saved. I, I, I don't hate them. I love them. I'm one of them. But I am totally sold out above everything to Jesus Christ. 
and I'm totally convinced from the New Testament that the real issue is, is what we do with Him and, w- and whether we're in Him or not. And if we don't have Jesus, if we don't respond to Jesus, if we don't receive His grace, whether we're a Jew or a Gentile, we're lost. I mean, that's just the, the truth. We are lost. And another thing, Keith, it just amazes me. John Hagee, and even in the Left Behind series, it says this, that uh, God is going to judge the Gentiles based upon the way they treat the Jew. Uh, have you heard that? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, you know, you can, you'll find in the Old Testament passages where God will judge the nations as they gather together to fight against Israel. I mean, that, that is... That is a biblical truth, but but when it comes to the New Testament and when it comes to the whole issue of the final day of judgment, there's just not a word in the New Testament, not one word about God gathering all the nations of the world on the final day of judgment and then judging every individual person based upon how they've treated the Jew. I mean, that is not a New Testament teaching at all. It's just not there. Not one text. They're they're twisting statements in the Old Testament about how God is going to judge, you know, if a nation goes and attacks his people, he's going to judge that nation for that. Like Babylon. Babylon attacked Israel and God judged Babylon. But, but that's not a principle that applies to every single human being who's ever lived on the final day of judgment that it has to do with how they treat the Jew or not. That's just not true. You, um, you know obviously where you want to go uh, with um, what we're going to do today, but I do have two questions. I said I had one before we went to uh, uh, to speak about your websites and books and resources. Um, can I posit them now? Sure, of course. Okay, now, um, the first thing is, we have the territory of Israel. Now, how does that kind of muddy the water, so to speak, for those who um, perhaps are on the fence uh, or have said, you know, uh, this is proof that they've got their nation back, etc., etc.? So how does the physical territory of Israel play into this scenario? Yeah, I have a whole section on that in the book End Time Delusions, plus I have a couple articles about the land uh, on on our website. Um, one thing, it, it's in the Old Testament, it's very true that when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he promised them that he would give them the land, the promised land. Now, when, when uh, I think there was between one and two million people that came out of, of Egypt, he brought them right to the edge of the land. He promised them the land. He said, I'm going to give it to you. But when they got right on the edge, if you remember what happened, they sent ten spies in. The spies came back, and uh, they were terrified of the giants in the land. But two of them, uh, Caleb and Joshua, mm-hmm. said, no, we should go in. And they stood up and said, we can do it. God, God can give us the land. But the, the unbelief prevailed, and the people followed the, the spies that didn't believe, and they all began to murmur and complain, and they thought, oh, woe is us. You know, what are we doing out here? We're going to die in the wilderness. And because of their unbelief and their lack of faith, what happened was God told them, you're going to have to turn right back around, you're going right back into the wilderness, and you are all going to die in the wilderness, except for Caleb and Joshua and the, and the younger generation, uh, because you didn't believe my word. You remember the story. Mm-hmm. And so, so look at that story. What happened there? God promised them the land, but because they didn't have faith, because they weren't following him, they, they were full of unbelief, God did not give them the land. He sent them back into the wilderness where they died. And then the next generation, 40 years later, came along, and, and uh, Caleb and Joshua were still alive. And then under Joshua's leadership, 
Uh, am I saying it right? Was it Caleb and Joshua? I believe so. It was, uh, and then under Joshua's leadership, uh, they went in and, and they got into the land. And so my point is that even though God promised the land, he didn't give it to them unless they had faith. And it's the same today. Uh, they do not have a right, a divine right, to the territory over there, to the land over there, any more than the Israelites did when uh, they came out of Egypt. Uh, the, the, the conditions to having God give them the land had to do with their faith and their obedience to Him. And if you look at the Israeli nation today, like I said, 95% of it is secular. There's just as much abortion going on over there per capita as there is over here. There's just as many sins going on over there as there is over here. By no means of the imagination can we say that the Israel today in the Middle East, the Israeli nation, is an obedient nation like uh, that group that crossed the Jordan River in the time of Joshua. They're, they're just not. And so, they, so the point is that, biblically speaking, they do not have a right, a divine right, to the land any more than those uh, people did back then who died in the wilderness. Now, they're there, but who knows how long they'll stay there. I mean, they've certainly got uh, support from the West and from America, and they've got a, high, a better army and higher technology than the Arab world, because the Arab world is really in, in darkness, because as long as they keep following the Quran, they're going to remain in a very primitive state. And so uh, Israel will probably remain in there, uh, but, but that's not because God is defending them. It's not because God you know, is, is honoring his promise to give them that land in the time of, well, when, even when they got into the land. They were there for, uh, for about 800 years until the time of Babel, and then, and then what happened? They lost the land. Mm -hmm. Why did they lose it? Because they were disobedient. And so the Babylonians came and wiped them out and burned the temple down to the ground and took the Jews captive into Babylon. And then they came back seven years later. They got back into the land in the time of Ezra because they were, there was 50,000 and they were a repentant people and Ezra was a spiritual giant trusting in God. So they went back into the land. They rebuilt the temple and, uh, and they, they were reestablished. God gave the land back to them. But then, what was it, uh, 600 years Six hundred years later, Jesus came, and some Jewish people received him. It's not correct to say the Jews rejected Christ, because they didn't. Paul was a Jew, and, and so were Peter and James and John. Some Jews received him, but the corporate leadership, they rejected him. And, uh, and, and then what happened after Jesus died and rose and went to heaven? Well, the Romans came and made war on the Jews and burned the temple down to the ground, killed uh, like a million Jews. I mean, it was just a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And what happened? They lost the land again. They got kicked out because of their disobedience and their rejection of Jesus Christ. So if you just look at biblical history, I mean, God doesn't just say to them, it's your land, I've made a, uh, an irrevocable promise that no matter what you do, you're going to stay there and keep and be there. Uh, that's just not biblical. There are conditions to being able to stay in the land from God's perspective, and that condition is uh, faith and obedience to the Lord. And modern Israel does not fit that category, so they don't have that right today. Well, let me ask you this then. What do you think was afoot? What do you think um, the end game was in the United Nations being used uh, to create uh, the nation of Israel? It was a response to the Holocaust. The Holocaust was a, was a bloody mess, and um, global opinion favored
ordered the restoration of the Jewish people to their homeland, and, and that's that's what happened. It was on the, it was in the wake of the of the Holocaust, um, but the Zionist movement at that time that moved into uh, to, to Israel. I mean, that Zionist movement was not a spiritual. Uh, Movement that was that was led by God. It was a political mm-hmm. movement to get back into back into the land in response to the Holocaust. Now it's amazing to me, Keith. A lot of people say, "Well, God uh, brought them back in 1948. God was behind them. God led mm-hmm. in this." Right. And so, and so, my response is, "Well, if God was so behind them in 1948, where was He in 1941 when they were being thrown to the gas chambers and and, and burned up?" Uh, in the death camps, you know, was he not behind them there, whereas he was behind them, you know, eight years later, seven years later? Uh, I've had some, some Jewish people, my, my my mother's boyfriend, he's extremely Jewish, and, and he'll say, you know, he, he kind of repeats a, a phrase that um, a, a lot of Jews say in reference to the Holocaust. They say, if, that, if that's the way God treats his chosen people, uh, you know, <laughs> let him choose somebody else. Uh, this is a, the way Jews often talk. Mm-hmm. If that's the way God treats his chosen people, let him choose somebody else. And, and I don't believe that that's the way God treated them. I believe that was Hitler, and that was uh, just Satan's evil against people, against Jews. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't just Jews that were put to, right. put to death by Hitler. And so anyway, you get my point, mm-hmm. is that it's not, it's just not consistent to say that God was all of a sudden with them in 1948. Where was he in 1941? It, the, a lot of what happened in 1948 was the was the outworking of the disaster of the Holocaust, and the UN and the nations of the world were sympathetic toward Israel because of what the Jews had gone through in that suffering. But uh, you know, if God didn't, God wouldn't bring them into the land when they came out of Egypt unless they had faith. And so, and the Bible says in Hebrews uh, 13 that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. And if, if, and if God wouldn't bring them into the land himself through his providence, uh, unless a whole generation became believers in the time of Joshua, then how can we say that God has just changed? You know, now he did it, though. He brought them all in in 1948, even though they were in the same condition. Most of them didn't believe. The Zionist movement hadn't received Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, it was not mm-hmm. an obedient, faithful movement. So I think there's just, you know, political outworkings and the ebb and flow of, of humanity that uh, brought them back into the land, but it, it, it was not the direct leading of God because they were not an obedient nation. And the Old Testament says that he wouldn't do it in the, in, in, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, well, you know, there's, I won't go down this historical path, but the intrigues with regard to Palestine, uh, you know, go back to the beginning of the 20th century, and Barry Chamish was on uh, yesterday, and he would tell you that there are two groups of Zionists, and one is a plague uh, to his kind, and that would, he would consider them labor Zionists, whose seat of power seems to have come out of London and Britain. And, of course, you think back to the Balfour Declaration, which is a brief but very confounding uh, invitation, I think you'd say, uh, for a, a settlement down in Palestine, which they knew was going to create a problem. So, I mean, uh, do you want to comment about even that little uh, um, <clears throat> move by uh, the Zionists out of uh, Britain? Uh, well, first of all, I think that your reporter friend who was on your show we, is right that there is, uh, there's two groups of Zionists and there's a lot of corruption in the Israeli government. That's what he was talking mm-hmm. about, right? And just 
fact, there was corruption uh, in the in the government in the time of Jesus Christ among Annas and Caiaphas and the the Jewish leaders. And to say that God is you know behind them, he's not. Just like he wasn't behind Annas and Caiaphas, he's not behind these uh, corrupt Zionists either. Uh, as far as the the Bellflower Declaration and and Britain, um, again, I think it was you know there's a lot of political mm-hmm. workings going on behind the scenes. Uh, the Zionist movement was very, you know, strong, and they wanted to get into that land. And and uh, a lot of the the Christian theology that God is behind Israel that also influenced some of these leaders uh, mm-hmm. in England and in the in the UN and other places in America to favor the restoration of Israel back into the land because they were they were being influenced by dispensational theology which was certainly uh, active back then and and wanted to see the Jews return to the land because they believed that was going to be a fulfillment of prophecy well, you know, the West has really never left the Middle East region alone, going back to what, uh, the 11th century, I guess, and the Templars going down with the pilgrims to visit the Holy City. And when they went ahead and made the Balfour Declaration, I mean, that was also a recipe for destabilization, which continues to this day. Uh, then you had World War One and the tripartition of Iraq and, and other states being carved out. But my point is, uh, you know, I'll, let me be straight. To me, uh, Satan being the prince of this world, um, has designs on Jerusalem, and can you speak to uh, certain uh, organizations uh, being used by Satan uh, to uh, uh, try to get him in- installed uh, in the end days uh, uh, in Jerusalem? Uh, well, I certainly believe, like you said, that you know we're, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and that Satan is behind uh, the evil of this world. Uh, I don't believe that that Jerusalem is going to be the center of prophecy, and I don't believe that there's going to be a person called the Antichrist, one person who goes into Jerusalem and uh, sets himself up there. I think that is just pure fiction. That is dispensational, left-behind, mm-hmm. futuristic uh, theology. I don't, I don't buy that entire scenario. Um, so let's see, where do I want to go for, from there? Um, well, no, I mean, I think you pretty much spoke to that. Um, the other thing I was going to say to you is now we have the interesting geographical area, or is it a, um, a figurative area, and that is looking at Megiddo and Armageddon. Right, yeah. And, and, and let me just, uh, back to your previous uh-huh. question. Sure. Um, I mean, Satan does have, Satan wants to kill Jewish people. Satan wants to kill Muslims. Satan wants to kill you. He wants to kill me. He's a murderer. Uh, Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. And his goal is, is murder, uh, to kill a- everyone. And this, the amazing thing is that when Jesus first said Satan was a murderer, the context was he was talking to Jewish leaders. And he said, you are of your father, the devil, and you will do his lusts, for he was a murderer from the beginning. And that, that was when they were trying to kill Christ. So Satan can get into Jews just as easy as he can get into Gentiles. I mean, we're all uh, susceptible. So as far as uh, Armageddon and, and the book of Revelation, um, the book End Time Delusions is just so full of, of evidence. When you, when you read the book of Revelation, Revelation does talk about Babylon. It talks about Israel. It talks about Jerusalem. It talks about the temple. It talks about the river Euphrates and the battle of Armageddon. All those things. And what, what is happening today is that people are reading that book with a very, uh, in a very superficial way. 
words, just looking at all these things and saying all this applies to current Jerusalem, to a rebuilt temple, to the literal river Euphrates, to a, a restored Babylon in the land of Iraq, and to a final Middle East battle in the valley of Megiddo, north of Jerusalem, uh, and that's where the final showdown is going to be. That's the way they interpret the book mm -hmm. of Revelation. Right. That is totally false. That's not what Revelation is really all about. When you're just starting with Jerusalem itself, when you read the book of Revelation, and I've got it open right here, and I'll just start with one text. Uh, the Jerusalem is mentioned over and over and over again in Revelation. And time after time after time after time, it's not talking about the physical city, the blood-stained city over there in the Middle East. It's talking about the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Here it is, Revelation 3, verse 12. Jesus said, He that overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So in this verse, Revelation 3.20, and then the next verse, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is saying that the city of God is the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. Over and over and over again, it's the new Jerusalem. Same thing in chapter 21. Uh, the list goes on and on. Now, as far as... Um, the temple, when, when Revelation talks about the temple, there's not one reference in the book of Revelation to a rebuilt temple on earth, not one. Every single reference, every one, is talking about the heavenly temple. Uh, Revelation 11.19, here's an example. It says, the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. Uh, Revelation 15, verse 5, talks about the temple in heaven. Revelation 16.1, the temple in heaven. Revelation 16.17, the temple of God in heaven. So it's the new Jerusalem, it's the heavenly temple where Jesus Christ is now our great high priest. Okay, next is next one it talks about Babylon. It's not talking about a physical rebuilt city over in the Middle East. Babylon in the book of Revelation is a mystery Babylon. Chapter 17, chapter 18, Babylon deceives the world. Babylon is a woman who rides a beast. Uh, Babylon is full of deception. Uh, it says in Revelation 18.4, God talks to his own people who are in Babylon, and he says, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Babylon is a spiritual conglomerate entity, a false religion all over the world that is deceiving people right now, and God has his own people in there, and he says, get out before it's too late. So Jerusalem is the heavenly, the temple is the heavenly, Babylon is a spiritual Babylon, and now what about Israel? Are we going to say it's a spiritual Babylon, but it's a literal Israel? No. The, the people that come out of Babylon, that's the Israel of God, God's Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, Babylon sat upon the river Euphrates. There was a literal city of Babylon literally sat upon the literal river Euphrates. In the book of Revelation, there's a spiritual Babylon, and she's sitting upon many waters. And Revelation talks about the great river Euphrates. Now, the question is, what is this river Euphrates? What does the many waters, what does this mean? Uh, in Revelation 17, verse 15, it, the angel of God explains exactly what the water represents. He says, the water which you saw where the whore sits are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So the water Euphrates is not the literal river trickling through a rock right now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the people all around the world that support the false religion of Babylon, and God is calling us to come out. 
Now then you get to the final battle of Armageddon. Uh, if you've got a new Jerusalem, if you've got a heavenly temple, if you've got a spiritual Babylon and a spiritual Israel composed of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ, who come out of the mystical Babylon, and then you've got a final gathering of the forces of the devil for the battle of Armageddon, the question is, is it, is it a literal battle over there in the Middle East in this little tiny valley north of Jerusalem? No, it's not. When you read Revelation 16, and I've got it right here, this is what it says. Verse 14 says, They are the spirits of devils working miracles who go forth to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. That's the, the garments of his righteousness. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And that, the word Armageddon, Ar, A-R, means mountain. Megiddon, Megiddo, or from uh, or Megiddon, from the word Megiddo, means slaughter. So it means mountain of slaughter. And then it says, the seventh angel sounded, uh, he poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven, not on earth, but in heaven, saying, it is done. And there were voices, thunders, lightning, there was a great earthquake, such as men was, such as not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And then verse 19 says, the great city, which is Babylon, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. When you just read that whole section, Keith, right before and right behind it, the word Armageddon, it's very, very clear that it's a global gathering all over the world. The spirits of devils go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world for the battle of Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon means mountain of slaughter, which really has to do with the government of Satan. Uh, it says in Daniel chapter 2 that, uh, you remember the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar with the big statue mm -hmm. of the head of gold, etc., right. which represented the nations? And then it says that a rock comes down from the sky, and the rock hits the image and crushes it, and then the rock becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. And that mountain refers to the government of God, God's government. That's what a mountain represents in prophecy. And so in Revelation 16, the mountain of slaughter is the mountain of the government of the devil and all of his global forces of deception that are all gathered together uh, to fight against God himself and against Jesus Christ and against his truth and against his people at the end of time. And, and then in Armageddon, Jesus comes down uh, fights against the devil, crushes his global forces, Satan's government collapses, the cities of the nations fall, it says Babylon collapses, the islands disappear, the mountains sink. I mean, there's no way in, in, in heaven that uh, when you just read the book of Revelation itself, Revelation 16, that that is applying to just a Middle East war against Jews. It's just not there. It's worldwide. It has to do with Babylon. It's global forces against God and his people. And Jesus comes and defeats the devil at Armageddon and all the forces of Satan. And uh, if there's Jewish people in Jerusalem that are on the side of the devil, they're going down in Armageddon just like anybody else if they're not on the side of Jesus Christ. You're listening to the grass. You know we have with us Steve Wahlberg. Uh, Steve, at this point, uh, why don't you... Uh Tell us again about the websites and the resources that you do have. Sure. The website is truthleftbehind.com. Truthleftbehind.com. The phone number for our ministry is 878-BIBLE, 878-BIBLE. The, the main book 
that uh, deals with this topic that we have is End Time Delusions, which deals with a variety of topics uh, separating fact from fiction when it comes to prophecy. It has a whole section dealing with Israel, uh, Israel delusions, and it's, it's just solid, Keith. It's very solid, and I, I, I think I've, I've proved my point that Revelation is dealing with the New Jerusalem, the Heavenly Temple, spiritual Babylon, a spiritual Israel that comes out of Babylon, composed of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ, and a global battle of all the forces of Satan against God himself, not a Middle East war against Jews. All right. Um, I'm going to also give some addresses out for people if they want to uh, ask questions, make a comment. Uh, it's already started, so uh, are you uh, are you okay with taking a couple of questions? Of course. All right. Well, uh, for those who uh, don't have the addresses, if you're going to send an email, do so to visigoth at hotmail.com, V-Y-Z-Y-G-O-T-H. If you're going to use instant messaging services, you can use uh, MSN. That would be Visigoth. Or you can use uh, Yahoo. That would be Viz1400. All right. Um, you ready to go? I'm ready. You got the water? Yeah, I was just drinking water. I've been fucking fast, so I... I was, I was wondering when you were going to go. I'm watering my voice. Okay. All right. Um, okay, well, we got a, a hardball question right here to start off with it. Um, uh, are you a preterist? No. Okay. Not at all. Definitely not. I have a, a series of articles on uh, problems with preterism. So no way. I believe in the in the real return of Jesus Christ in the future with power and glory and all the angels. I don't believe that uh, that happened in 70 A.D. 2,000 years ago right. when Jerusalem was destroyed. All right. Okay. And for those folks who don't know what preterism is, uh, that would be pretty much the uh, the sticking point, would it not? Yes. Preterists uh, believe that prophecy that the that, well, at least the the full preterists. Uh, there are some moderate preterists, but the full preterists believe that the second coming and the end of the world took place in 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed. I don't buy that at all. Preterism pre- pretty much puts most prophecy or all prophecy in the past. <clears throat> Futurism puts it in the future. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. buy either one of those. I believe in historicism, that prophecy, there have been prophecies fulfilled in the past, and they've gone down throughout history, and they're going to climax at the return of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> um. I, I have a question. I don't know if I'm right about this, but it always struck me that if, if uh, the preterists were right, this would be the millennium, wouldn't it? A thousand uh, years of yeah, peace? Yeah, I think so. There, there's, <laughs> a lot of, there's some confusion Oof. within preterism itself. Yeah. There's different views, but I think that's that's generally true. Yeah, uh, which never made any sense to me and still doesn't. Me neither. Okay, we got another one for you. Um, uh, how does the uh, scenario with uh, the four armies converging? Uh, how, how, what do you make of that? What four armies? Well, from the four corners, right? The four kings, is it? Uh, I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about. There are four beasts in Daniel 7 that are interpreted by the angel as four kingdoms. I don't know where he's talking about four armies. There are four angels holding the four winds in Revelation 7. Um, Would this have a reference? That's as replete as it is. Would this be a reference to Gog, Magog, Cush, Gomer, all that? Uh, it might be, because in Revelation, see, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, it talks about Gog and Magog going to war against Israel, um, which was a local situation or a local prediction. Uh, the, the key is that the book of Revelation, chapter 20, picks up that Old Testament prophecy and then globalizes it. It applies it to, uh, it says Gog and Magog. Let me just get it right here. I've got Revelation chapter 20 it's talking about what happens at the end of the thousand years 
and it says uh, that Satan will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And this is at the end of the thousand years. And then it says they go up on the breadth of the earth and they surround the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, which is the new Jerusalem. And fire comes down from God out of heaven and devours them. So what Revelation 20 does is it picks up the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39 and it applies that prophecy to the global forces of Satan at the end of the thousand years who are gathered together to make war against the new Jerusalem and the saints of God who are in the new Jerusalem at the end of the thousand years. The mistake today is that people don't read Revelation 20 and they just read Ezekiel 38 and 39 and they apply it to nations fighting against Jews. But that's not what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Also, uh, this is just an aside, but somebody just emailed me. I guess they want to know one more time what your website is. Are we gonna re- we're referring right now to truthleftbehind.com, correct? Yes, that's that. That's we use that for radio purposes because it's easiest to remember. Okay. Uh, they can also go to whitehorsemedia.com. Okay. Uh, just like in Revelation 19, Jesus comes on a white horse. Mm-hmm. It's a description of his return. The, the the name of our ministry is White Horse Media, and if you want to remember that that as well, White Horse media.com uh, will get you to our site as well. I don't know if you have a favorite uh, regarding what I'm going to mention, but I'm do, I'm, I'll mention this because if people are trying to stay with you, and I think some are, um, I'll say that if you want to search uh, the King James Version Bible online, you can use bibleresources.bible.com. Are you familiar with that website at all? No, but it sounds good. It, I mean, it's... To me, I mean, it's it's the Bible online. So, folks, sure, you yeah, there's there's the, the uh, Blue Letter Bible is a good one too. Yes, that's correct. That's translations. Right. I, I often go to Blue Letter Bible. All right, so there you go. If you want to stay uh, with us, and that's kind of hard to do, you can do so uh, by using those sites. All right, now I have a question. I guess um, the best way I can say this um, is from somebody who has been in the Romanist Church and is maybe kind of getting it that. Um, uh, the whole idea of salvation is not what <laughs> it was portrayed to be in that church. So, one more time, uh, you did mention this before, but uh, how does one become saved? Well, the, the, the path to salvation, the way we become saved is by humbling our hearts, confessing our sins, repenting, turning away from sin, and believing in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, embracing Him, that He died on the cross for our sins, He rose from the dead, and He went to heaven, and He is our righteousness. We're not saved by our works, we're not saved by being good enough, we're not saved by going to priests, confessing to the, the priest or the Pope, by making pilgrimages either to, uh, to Rome or Jerusalem or Mecca. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not in uh, going to Rome. It's not in going to Jerusalem. It's not in going to Mecca. It is through repenting of sin and having faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, uh, End Time Delusions has a whole section dealing with the Antichrist topic. And it also deals with the papal power and its growth in history and its uh, bringing in delusions into Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it documents that uh, Martin Luther and John Wesley and Calvin and Huss and Jerome and Spurgeon and the list goes on and on of Protestant reformers. They, they were not preterists. They didn't put it all in the past. And they weren't futurists. They, didn't, they weren't looking for a future one-man one antichrist who would show up at the end of the world after the rapture. They saw the papal power as the beast of prophecy. They saw the falling away occurring uh, within the history of the Christian church. They thought they saw the temple of God in Second uh, Thessalonians 2 where Paul talks about the Antichrist would sit in the temple of God. 
Yeah, are you familiar with that text? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 the word temple in that text, in Second, Second Thessalonians mm-hmm. 2 4, is, uh, it's a Greek word and it's naos, N A O S, naos. Uh, and every single time Paul used that word, he always applied it to the Christian church. Always. Uh, in First Corinthians 3.16, he said, you are the temple of God. And so when the Bible says that the Antichrist is going to sit in the temple of God, all the Protestant reformers applied that to the Roman power coming into the church with its deceptions. And, uh, and that's documented in the book End Time Solutions. Well, now i got a question for you. You know, there's, there's a great deal of talk about the New World Order. Uh, we see some kind of um, one-world government movement that's happening right now with the regionalizations of uh, countries into uh, economic integration blocks. But um, given the New World Order, one, uh, do you believe that it's coming? Two, do you believe world government's coming? And how do you liken that uh, with um, what is to come uh, uh, prophetically? Well, I don't believe that, they will, that at some point there will only be one government. I believe that nations... Uh, Jesus said this gospel will be preached as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Revelation 14, 6 says the gospel is to be preached to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So I don't believe that all nations will, will merge into one government so that there won't be any more France, and there won't be any more America, and there won't be any more England. Uh, I do believe that there will be a conglomeration of cooperation among the nations and that the beast uh, described in Revelation, which I believe is the papal power, uh, and I saw on your website you're going to have Phelps uh, coming on pretty soon. Oh, this has been some week, Steve. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's been, it is, and it will be some week, yep. Yeah, so see, he's going he's to enlighten people about the, the influence of the Vatican, the Vatican in, in world affairs, the Vatican in Washington, D.C. Five of our nine Supreme Court judges are Catholic. Hopefully they won't all go that direction. I mean, every person has a choice, and I'm not, you know, condemning every person. I mean, not all Muslims are going to be lost. Not all Catholics are going to be lost. Not, not all Protestants are going to be lost, you know. Not all Jews are going to be lost. I mean, God has people all around that he's working with and working for and trying to get into their hearts. But um, anyway, uh, the, the Vatican is going to have a major influence in, uh, in world affairs, and I do believe there will be a final. Revelation 17 says they have one mind, and they give their power and strength to the beast. So I do believe that the, the UN and the nations of the world will, will come together uh, mentally and in some form of cooperative relationship. The beast will be behind these mm-hmm. forces, and uh, so that will the new world order. Well, well, certainly, um, globalization, globalism, whatever you want to call it, is very palpable. And, sure. And it makes it easier to control, to, for, for control. And that's what the devil wants. The devil wants to control. But it's a, it's a conglomeration. I mean, Satan is working through Islam. Satan is working mm-hmm. through Catholicism. Even though there are, you know, there are many true Catholics that are following Jesus as best they can, I'm not saying they're all lost. God is the judge. He's a ju- just judge. But Satan is working through the major religions, the major movements of the world today to get everybody ultimately on his side against God at Armageddon. Uh, well, there is something interesting, and it's the last question I'll ask you, and we're going to probably run out of time, and that is one of the things I thought uh, was interesting was this bit across uh, the globe, and we talked about this with Barry yesterday, about all these trading blocks um, that that start to approximate 
the ten regions that the Club of Rome laid out, uh, that think tank back in around 1968 and 69, um, do you see this as possibly being something um, I guess you could equate with um, the ten horns? Well, yeah, the ten horns in, in Daniel 7, there were four beasts, the lion, the bear, the leopard, and a dragon-like beast. Daniel 7.23 says that they were, that they're four kingdoms. And historically, they've been understood to be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, the Roman Empire. When Rome fell, there, the ten horns came up on that fourth beast. And Rome was divided. There were ten barbarian tribes that swept down from the north and, and divided up the Roman Empire. And then the little horn, the eleventh horn, came up among them and then took over. And Protestants have understood that little horn as the papal power that rose up out of the Roman Empire among the ten horns, uh, centered in Europe, and that was its power base. And so I still believe that today, that the, um, the, the, the nations of Europe you know, are, are the nations in the midst of which the papal power has, has grown up. Uh, Rome has lost uh, quite a bit of its influence, but it's regaining its mm-hmm. power. Yeah. It's regaining its power, and uh, Revelation 13 talks about a deadly wound, but it says the deadly wound would be healed, and all the world would wonder after the beast. And so the papal power is regaining. I mean, I've never, there's never been a bigger funeral on planet Earth when John, and, and, uh, other than when John Paul II died. And it was amazing to me to see three U.S. presidents on their knees in mm-hmm. front of his casket uh, in, in Rome. I mean, this is phenomenal. Talk about all the world wondering after the beast. I mean, prophecy is being fulfilled mm-hmm. right in front of our eyes. Yeah, uh, and one last quip, and then I'm going to ask you to give us uh, some compact information out. Uh, one of the things I thought interesting is that uh, when uh, Rice uh, left uh, between her Middle East visits, it was to Rome <laughs> she went. Yeah, so, I know, you're right. <laughs> any rate, it's uh, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, our, our, again, our website is truthleftbehind.com. Truthleftbehind.com. They can also go to whitehorsemedia.com. We have our own radio show on Wednesdays that we do. People can listen online as well, and they can learn about that on our website. The book is End of Time Delusions, End of Time Delusions, that deals with all of these topics. Uh, the phone number is 878-BIBLE, 878-BIBLE. They can order the book, and I know we're just about out of time, Keith. Let me just make a final point here. Sure. That as we're talking about, and as we're looking at prophecy and looking at all these different things happening, Jesus said in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ loves Jews. He loves Muslims. He loves the terrorists. Even though they're, they're killing people, he loves them too. He loves the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Catholics, the Protestants. He loves us all. And as we look at Satan working through different organizations and movements and religions, uh, we, we must have the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts for all people. And if we don't, if we don't have the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts for all people, we do not have the Spirit of Christ. We don't have His character, and we're not going to stand uh, at Armageddon. So we need Him, mm-hmm. and He's the one that saves us by His grace. He's the one that can change us. And we need to have His Spirit of love, and we need the Spirit of truth, so that we're not deceived by Satan's forces. All right, Steve, we're out of time. We thank you very much for uh, visiting with us. I'm sure it's not the last time. And again, uh, we appreciate the time that you do spend with us. Sure, Keith. Thanks for having me. And may God uh, bless us all and save us by His grace. God bless you, Steve. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too.